Well, good morning, Calvary. So good to see you and to connect with you this morning in worship. We are so glad that you've spent this time with us today and uh, hope that you are doing well. We are praying for you and please reach out with your prayer requests. We would love to pray for you specifically. Uh, One announcement that I want to bring to your attention is that we have had a great response uh, with a food drive for people in need in our community. We've given, I think it was 2,800 pounds of food already, Um, but we're going to keep on collecting food because there is still need. So if you're able to grab some food and some essentials, you can bring them to the church at any point. There's a drop-off spot outside the front doors, and let's continue to help our neighbors in need. Now, the reality of how we're doing worship online these days is that oftentimes we record the services a few days in advance. And so last week, we taped this service on Thursday before things continued to escalate in our community and and some of the conversations were were coming up. And so I want to go back and just address some of the things that I talked about on Sunday in our other services, uh, just so that you know what we have discussed together as a congregation. And so as you're well aware, there have been tragic events that have taken place in our community, and we have to recognize that, we need to be praying about that, and we need to take action. You know, we've been confronted with the ugly reality of racism and injustice, with the horrific murder of George Floyd. And we've seen decades of oppression and frustration boil up in people of color. And so as a church, we need to take action. Now, there are no easy answers at all. But I know as Christ followers, we cannot be silent. Racism and injustice are 100% gospel issues. It's not a political thing. It's a gospel thing. Jesus came to live and die for every person, no matter who they are. And he prayed in John 17 that we would be one. And so as a church, we have to speak up. The Bible tells us we need to mourn with those who mourn. And there is a whole group of people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are grieving and mourning. And our job is not to explain it away Our job is to seek to understand and to listen. Now, I also think we need to start with our own sins and our own blind spots before we try to tell other people how to feel or how to act. We need to start with how we we fall short, how we contribute to the pain of others. I think we need to be willing to learn, to build bridges, to empathize, and to be advocates. Let's get on our knees and be praying for God to intervene. And meanwhile, we need to speak out. We need to take meaningful action. And so last week at the other services, I gave three action steps that I believe we need to take as a church. And the first step is pray. Prayer is the most powerful resource we have. So be praying for all of the people in our community, for people who are hurting. Pray for unity, pray for peace. And when you're done praying, pray some more because that is our most powerful tool. Number two, we need to learn. 
I think for too long, we haven't taken the action we've needed to to understand the hurt and the pain that people of color are facing. And so I challenged our congregation to be learning. Learn things you don't know. Be willing to be uncomfortable. And I encourage people to check out a great website, which is bethebridge.com. Bethebridge.com. It's a gospel ministry that focuses on anti-racism and how we can build unity. So number two, learn. And then number three, serve. Find a way to serve. And as I mentioned before, we're trying to gather as much food as we can right now to help people in North Minneapolis and South Minneapolis. And there's going to be other ways that you can serve in the weeks ahead. So stay in contact with us. But I believe that God wants to use the church and he needs us to speak up and to take action. So we are in the final week of a sermon series on the book of Habakkuk. And when we first met Habakkuk a couple weeks ago, at the very beginning of his book, remember he is one of the 12 minor prophets, Habakkuk was in a very low place, and he was questioning God. And then last week, we saw how he began to climb up out of the valley that he was in, and he stood up on a watchtower, and he listened, and he wrote down what he heard from God. And then he was willing to wait for God to move. And so he trusted, and he lived by faith, And he took comfort in three powerful words that come at the end of chapter two. But the Lord. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Even when everything's melting down, even when Habakkuk has all these questions, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Well, now in chapter three, the very last chapter of his book, Habakkuk becomes like a mountain climber who finally reaches the top of the mountain and has his arms in the air in celebration. Now, his circumstances to this point have not changed. But by the end of the book, he himself had changed. And he's now walking confidently in faith. Now, when you're walking through a valley like Habakkuk was, It isn't easy to climb out. But none of us want to stay down in the depths of the valley. We all want to rise up and to climb higher. Well, just like Habakkuk, we too need to be honest with God about our struggles and our questions and our doubts. We must be willing to wait for him to respond and to speak to us. Now, it's hard to be patient, but it's worth it. Because through this process, God will take us to new heights of faith. So what took Habakkuk from the valley to the mountaintop? Well, chapter 3 describes three important things that Habakkuk was willing to do. He remembered, he praised, and he trusted So I invite you to turn to chapter 3 of the book of Habakkuk. Remember, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you hit one of the Gospels, you went too far. Just back up a little bit. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Habakkuk. And here's what verse 1 has to say. 
a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. And you might say, stop, wait, what did you say? What in the world is a Shigianoth? Well, scholars think that it was probably a musical instrument. And so this is a hymn of praise. It was probably sung during worship in the temple. And what we notice here in chapter 3 is there's already been a huge shift that's taken place. Habakkuk has gone from arguing with God to praying. And when he starts to pray, he is led to praise and to worship, and God helps him climb. So what do you do when you're down in the valley? How do you begin to climb back up? Well, Habakkuk starts by remembering what God has done. In verse 2, Habakkuk prays these words, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's saying, I remember all of the stories. I remember the songs that celebrate your glory and how great you are. And I've seen it in my own life. I remember all of these things. But right now, God, you're not doing it. You're not coming through. What is going on? Now, maybe you can relate to this. You remember times when God was close and he felt active in your life, but then there might be another time when he's felt distant and disconnected. And so Habakkuk says, if you find yourself in a time like that, make it a point to remember who God is and what he's done. Now, when I was in college and grad school, I had some friends who were avid rock climbers, and I listened to them many times plan their climbs. And they spent as much time or more time planning the climbs than doing the actual climbing. And they would meticulously plan out their route, and then as they climbed, they would use anchors hammered into small crevices in the rock to attach their ropes to so that if someone fell quickly, it would prevent a quick descent to death. Rock climbers who fail to use the proper protection have a very short climbing career, oftentimes. Now, our anchors come when we remember and hold on to the times that we have experienced God's faithfulness in our life. Every answered prayer, every victory, every storm that has been calmed by his presence is like an anchor that keeps us from falling, losing hope, or worse yet, losing faith. Every anchor in our life is an example of God's faithfulness to us. As we ascend in the kingdom of God, we also realize that each experience, each victory is a stepping stone toward our ultimate goal of finishing the race and receiving the crown of glory. And remember that these anchor points were placed there by God himself. He is the one who enables us to keep climbing up. So Habakkuk says he's remembering all that God has done. And then he asks God to do it again. Now, the Hebrew word he uses in this verse is kawya, which means to renew or revive or restore. 
Habakkuk knows that a new move of God is what he needs, a revival, a restoration. That's what's going to lead him up and out of the valley. He's saying, God, I remember your deeds, and I remember your glory. I've seen your power. Now renew them again today. I know you've done it before, so now do it again. You know, what if that was our prayer today? Instead of looking at the terrible racism and injustice that's on spotlight and just feeling hopeless and helpless, instead of looking at all the divisions and ugliness all around us and feeling like giving up, what if instead we prayed and said, God, I remember all the times you have shown up. I remember all the times you have shown your power. Do it again today. I know your track record. You can redeem all things. And so I believe you'll do it again. Now the second thing Habakkuk does is to praise the greatness of God. Remembering what God has done always should lead to praise and worship. And so in verses 3 through 15 in Habakkuk 3, he runs through a whole list of times that God has shown up in power and victory. And he praises God for answering his questions. Let's look at verse 3. Really, in verses 3 through 5, it shows God showing up in glory. Verse 3 says, God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Now, you might say, what in the world is this about? Where are these places? What does it even mean? But the people of Habakkuk's day, as they read this, would know exactly what he was talking about. You see, Mount Paran is just another name for the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. And what Habakkuk is doing in these verses is to retrace the steps of the Israelites as God led them out of slavery and into the promised land. Everything in these verses spotlights God's glory. He's called the Holy One, which if you read the book of Isaiah, he's called 30 different times. God's glory covers the heavens, and one day, his glory will cover the earth. In verses six to seven, it says, God stood in power. He stood and shook the earth and looked and made the nations tremble. You know, when generals of this earth lead their armies into battle, they're either advancing or retreating. But here, God is described as simply standing his ground. God stands firm. He faces the enemy without any fear. He looks around and he surveys the earth because it all belongs to him. Now in verses 8 to 15, we just see how God is victorious again and again. Habakkuk goes on to remember Israel's march through the wilderness to the promised land and all the battles that had to be won and all the victories that came. Now if you read through this later on, it can be disconcerting to read of all the violence, especially with what's going on in our world. Now, I don't have time to dig into all this. This is more than another sermon one day. But I think one helpful way to think about these things, especially violence in the Old Testament, is an idea someone shared with me one time. 
God accommodates to our capacity. God accommodates to where we are at, where us as a people, as a civilization are at. God accommodates to our capacity. And that's because that's precisely what you do when you care about someone. You know, for instance, if your child asks you where babies come from, how you answer that question depends on what their age is. If they're four years old, you answer that question in one way. If they're 12 years old, you answer the question in another way. You accommodate to their capacity. And so in the Old Testament, God was accommodating to a very primitive and violent culture. Not that he condoned it, not that he supports it. God accommodates to our capacity. In the end, God is faithful, and he shows his power, his greatness and his glory bring us back to praise and worship. Well, lastly, Habakkuk makes a great confession of faith in verses 16 to 19, that he trusts what God will do in the future. Now, really, this is one of the greatest confessions of faith found in the entire Bible. Habakkuk has faced the fact that his country will be invaded by the Babylonians who are cruel and wicked enemies. He knows that many of his people will be killed and they'll be taken into exile. Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Yet now he tells God that he will trust him no matter what happens. He's still thinking, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I wish the Babylonians would get wiped out. I'm struggling with this plan. But look at what he says in verse 16. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. All right, I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust that you have a good plan, God. I'm going to believe the Babylonians have what's coming to them but I'm gonna trust because you said it would be so. You see, when he looked up in faith and trust to God, it's then that his fears go away. Now, as we talked about last week, one of the marks of faith is being able to wait patiently. No matter what he saw, no matter what he felt, Habakkuk chose to stand on God's promises in his word. Now, look at verse 17 and 18. Because Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Basically saying, even though I have no reason at all to rejoice, I still will. With all that's about to go down, Habakkuk couldn't rejoice in his own circumstances, but he was able to rejoice in his God. Many years ago, when I was in chaplaincy training at Fairview Ridges in Burnsville, I helped to lead a Bible study at the care center that was attached. And there was a woman there named Margaret who had multiple sclerosis and some other conditions. She was confined to a wheelchair, and she could only slur her words. She drooled constantly and was in pain nearly all her waking hours. 
While the average age of a resident in the care center was over 80, she was only in her early 40s. Margaret had plenty of reason to be bitter or to complain, but she never, ever complained. She loved Jesus. She never missed a Bible study or a worship service. So one day we were meeting and we went around the circle of all the people in attendance and just invited them to share their favorite Bible verse or Bible passage, something that was especially meaningful to them. So after many people spoke, Margaret let let us know that she wanted to say something. Most of the people had recited their verses from memory, but she was only able to say what verse she wanted to quote. Psalm 119, 71. So we looked it up, and this is what it said. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Margaret smiled broadly, nodded her head. See, she was an amazing testimony to God's grace. She remembered God's faithfulness to her, and it caused her to rejoice and to praise him, even with her present circumstances. Habakkuk says, even with no grapes or olives or crops or fields or sheep or cattle, I will rejoice because he trusts in God his Savior. Now, probably none of us are that worried about grapes or olives or sheep or cattle today, but all of us face different struggles, and we're invited to trust in God. To say, even though my my spouse said, till death do us part, and didn't live up to that vow, yet I will still trust in the Lord. Even though I raised my children to know Jesus and they've strayed far away, yet I will trust in the Lord. Even though my finances are stretched and I'm living paycheck to paycheck, yet I will trust in the Lord. Even though I got diagnosed with this awful disease, yet I will trust in the Lord. Even though I've made some horrible decisions in my life and I've messed up relationships, yet I will trust in the Lord. See, my prayer for every person watching today is that you would have a Habakkuk chapter three kind of faith. But the reality is you can't have a chapter three kind of faith until you've had a chapter one kind of question. And then you've spent some chapter two time waiting because God will meet you in the valley and he'll prove his faithfulness and his grace, and then he'll help us start to climb up. So look at the last verse, verse 19. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He enables me to tread on the mountaintop even though everything seems like it's going down the tubes, even though it seems like the valley is too deep, there's no crops in the field, there's no animals in the barn, yet the Lord is in his holy temple. I might be at the lowest place, but God will not leave me there. The righteous will live by faith. God will be true to his word, and I will find my strength and my hope in the Lord and he will take me 
to new heights. I read an article in Sports Illustrated years ago about the first blind man to reach the summit of Mount Everest. His name was Eric Weyenmeyer. And he talked about all the training and planning and conditioning that was needed. But in the end, one of the very most important things was his guide. This guide was there to blaze a trail, to signal back to where he could go. He wore bells on his backpack for Aaron, Eric to listen to. As they made it higher up the mountain, the guide would tell him exactly where to place his feet. And then there were times when the guide would physically place his foot for him. As they climbed up sheer ice walls or they went over narrow bridges of snow. With drop-offs of hundreds of feet off both sides. By putting his complete trust in his guide, Eric was able to stand on top of Mount Everest. And he was the very first blind climber to ever do so. And he went on to climb the highest peak on every single continent. When you are exhausted and overwhelmed and your legs are shaky and you want to find a safe place to just lay down and give up, Habakkuk shows us it's possible to keep on climbing. See, because of his trust and his faith in God, he had sure-footed confidence. God uses our struggles and our doubts and our questions to draw us nearer to him and then to lift us up beyond our circumstances so that we can walk on the highest heights with him. Habakkuk teaches us to face those questions and doubts with honesty, to take them to God, to wait for him to respond and to teach us, and then to worship him no matter how we feel or what we see. Now, the thing is, church, we have a great advantage over Habakkuk because we have Jesus. He's present here with us. We don't have to wait for him. Now, God doesn't always change our circumstances, but he will meet us where we are at. And he will change us so that we can meet our circumstances with confidence. You know, that's what it means to live by faith. Let God use you. Let him use you to bring hope and love and light into the darkness. So remember and praise and trust and repeat. Remember, praise, and trust. Let's live that out together, knowing that God is at work and that all our hope is in him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this great book from the Old Testament where we learn so many lessons about how to deal with our questions and our doubts all those times when we're down in the valley. God, help us to continue to grow in our relationship with you, to continue to talk to you, to interact with you, to learn from you. And God, help us to continue to climb out of that valley and up the mountain 
Help us to have faith and trust in your promises and to always remember that you're by our side. So God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and we all say together, amen. Now, church, today is Communion Sunday, and so I hope you have your communion elements ready to go, some bread, some juice, some wine, and we're going to celebrate communion together as a church family virtually, and we believe that Jesus is present with us during this time. So we're reminded on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took, a, took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. And then after supper, he took a cup and he gave thanks. He gave it to them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's join together in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if there are more than one of you where you are watching this from, I would invite you to serve each other As you share the bread, say this is the body of Christ given for you. And as you share the wine or the juice, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Now, if you're watching this alone, I would invite you to take the bread in your hand and just know that this is the body of Christ given for you. And now take the juice or the wine, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, we're so glad that you joined us today. Now receive the benediction. As you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way. May he go behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you his love and his everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.